when you have forgotten a week from now and don't turn it down in advance mm-hmm. you're welcome ah, that's a future zach problem fuck that guy <laughs> cut to me editing. how rude past just man. kidding future zach i love you <laughs> clipping that <laughs> you know they say a mind is a terrible thing to waste but what would happen if one man filled another's with the scariest films of all time? <laughs> Who are you talking to? <clears throat> no- nothing. Ready to watch some movies? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Hello and welcome to Matt Make Zach Watch Horror Movies. I'm Matt. I'm Zach. And this week, I made him watch a movie. But I want you guys to know... You don't have to watch the movie. Uh, There's a bit of content warning up top. Uh, This movie goes some very dark places and deals with some really dark subjects that are beyond what we have covered thus far on the podcast. And even though we are a horror podcast, and I hope everyone comes ready for sometimes upsetting things, this is upsetting in a different way. And if you want to skip the, uh, the movie... And just listen to the podcast, that's fine. We will push past the most upsetting stuff uh, without going into too much detail. So just uh, be prepared if you do watch the movie. Yeah, so far Oscars month has been a real bummer (laughs) for me. (laughs) Sorry, Zach. Just a forewarning. Yeah. We're going to skip past it so you can listen to the podcast. But if that sort of stuff you don't want in your life, you don't want those vibes in your life, you don't have to watch this movie. Yes. But we're not going to go to detail about right. it. Right. Much like our 28 Days Later episode, we will mention that it is a part of the movie and then move past it without touching on it too much, I think. Because we like to have fun here. Yes, we're here to make like dumb jokes about Robert De Niro's insane <laughs> accent in this movie <laughs> that I love so much. Not uh, other stuff. Mm-hmm. So, all right. What did we watch this week, Zach? <laughs> we watched Cape Fear. Yes, we did. I just like our attack the block episode. We're gonna be doing a silly accent this whole time. Oh, you think? <laughs> oh, you think? I do declare. <laughs> <laughs> I most certainly declare. <laughs> so you can take a guess where this movie yes. <laughs> and what kind of silly accent Robert De Niro did? Yes, for two hours. I mean, I think he kills it. Robert but... De Niro. <laughs> Okay, he's such a good actor. To qualify this for uh, Oscar month, because I didn't just want to do like the six movies here that are horror that have been nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. I let people know about those. They're typically pretty watched. I wanted to go uh, different places. Deep cut. Right. So that's why we're doing Cape Fear, which is nominated for Best Actor for Robert De Niro, because yeah. he is... Despite being the antagonist, definitely the main character of this movie. He is terrifying. Yes. And best supporting actress for Juliette Lewis as uh, the daughter. What did you think of the movie, Zach? Well, when you put this on list, never heard of it before. Right. But I saw Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro. Yeah. Scorsese is, and uh, how I've mentioned before, Tarantino Scorsese, my favorite director, is now John Carpenter. Like, I love them. I love yeah. everything they do. So I was very excited they, to watch this. They make good movies. Yeah. And I liked the last 30 minutes of this movie. The rest of it was very upsetting. That is fair. But <laughs> good filmmaking, good acting. Right. It's just subject matter is very upsetting. Yes. Because if you know Scorsese, he tackles real topics. He does. And I think the, the horror genre is known for um, t- tackling taboos. Mm-hmm. Um, not always super well. Uh, this movie does better with certain subjects than most and uh, worse on others. 
Mm-hmm. So, but Robert De Niro doing Robert De Niro oh. is definitely doing the most acting yeah. in this movie. Yeah, um, it might be like top three or four De Niro performances for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I feel like this is kind of the forgotten Scorsese De Niro classic. I mean, Scorsese is one of my favorite directors, and I didn't even know this movie existed. Right, like this and Mean Streets are the movies that people are like, "Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> That's a movie?" Yeah, and I've seen Mean Streets. Which yeah, so Mean Streets is great. Yeah, what's a mook? <laughs> I also love Scorsese. He's embroiled in some uh, controversy over the discussion of what is and isn't cinema right now. But I think he's a good filmmaker. So, I mean, that whole thing is just I think everybody already forgot about it. Pretty yeah, much. it's not much of a controversy. Got a little blown out of proportion. Yeah, I got called um, an elitist pig who doesn't know anything about comic <laughs> books or comic book movies because I defended Scorsese's right to not like them. And I was like, you know, I like I make comic books for a living. <laughs> Matt literally has an encyclopedia of knowledge of comic books in his brain. Right, what you want to know about Batman? <laughs> <laughs> like, You got a favorite Howard the Duck villain? I do. <laughs> <laughs> See what I'm dealing with here? This is the guy. This is your residential expert on right. horror movies so, and comics. So I just walked away from that conversation, but that was kind of the tone. But then the other side of it was like, well, he's a genius and he can say what he wants. None of the Marvel movies are even good. And I was like, let's not go crazy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Chill out there, buddy. Yeah. Both sides. Everybody shut the fuck up. He's almost 80. It's fine. <laughs> I didn't expect him to be like in the theater day, like day one of in game, like, oh, he lifted both hammers, <laughs> which would have been amazing. Just of course. Oh, he's got them both. He's got them both. <laughs> uh, you know, the uh, the thing about uh, cinema is that um, it's really great when Mark Ruffalo turns into the Hulk and he punches people in the face. Hey, uh, hey, hey, Marty. Uh, what? You want to come watch some Star Wars? Shut the fuck up, George. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I love you. Actually, best friends in real life. Really? Uh, yeah. No, there's a whole like the the four like guys who are like best friends are Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, um, Francis Ford Coppola, and George Lucas. Huh. They uh Scorsese. Spielberg and Lucas all kind of came up just after Coppola, mm-hmm. like broke through as a director after being a writer for years. So they were all kind of acolytes of Coppola and he kind of like helped them all into the industry and they're all just he, like best buds. I think you mentioned that when we're talking about Spielberg. Spielberg yeah, I think when we were talking on Jaws. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sorry for everyone who just heard that story again, <laughs> <laughs> but it delights me. So back to Robert De Niro. Fear. <laughs> And that amazing accent. Yes. Which was so jarring at first. Just hearing a southern drawl out of that man. (laughs) He's so good in this movie. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. It's a remake of a movie from uh, the 60s of the same title based on a book called The Executioners. The original starred uh, Robert Mitchum as Max Cady, who uh, we will cover on this podcast for Night of the Hunter, where he has love and hate tattooed upon the knuckles of his hands. Hmm. Uh, (laughs) He's great. He makes an amazing villain. And uh, Gregory Peck plays the lawyer role that Nick Nolte has in this one. Hmm. And I love Gregory Peck. And Nick Nolte has spoken. Yes. (laughs) That's what I know him from. (laughs) You should know him from other things. He's a fine, fine actor. (laughs) Remember in the Alien episode when you're like, I forget how young you are. (laughs) Okay. 
Nick Nolte's not like an actor of my generation, so <laughs> I'm just weird. <laughs> you've you've had more uh, time to take in these movies than I right. have. I guess that's true. Because right. you you, sp- you said you spent your twenties like yeah going yeah. through all these movies and stuff. Yes, that was so like my goal. <laughs> now it's my goal. Lot, lots of staying up late and just seeing what was gonna pop up on like HBO and Cinemax and just being like, oh, sick horror movie. <laughs> That was literally how I found this movie was like flipping through like channels when I still had like cable instead of just the internet and being like, wait, what? Because it was like up next. We are really dancing around having to talk about the first half of this movie. Um, so Pretty let's, much. Let's just get the setup out of the way. Yeah. Uh, Robert De Niro. Yes. Is that getting out of prison. shot of him in prison just working out is so good. And... He's got Inhuman comics on the wall. Yeah, he's got everything. Yeah, and anyone who feels wronged and feels righteous is represented in his prison cell. You want you want to give us some background on how that ties into Inhumans? Do you really want me to do this? <laughs> this is getting cut. Is this just for you? You said you're the comic book master, man. All right. Well, the Inhumans feel that they are above man and they are above mutant because they are the chosen ones of the Kree who, through the Terrigen Mists, can receive special powers. Jack Kirby had more of a handle on it than Stanley. Go figure. Uh, when he co-created them, he really saw them as a way to comment on like classism and the idea of uh, the just and the unjust and who gets what uh, because they saw themselves as royalty, but the world treated them as nothing. Which is why then they fled to the blue side of the moon where no one could bother them. You fucking film elitist. <laughs> yeah. I clearly hate comic books. <laughs> I heard no credibility. <laughs> Who else do you know just has that on the top of their brain? Come on. But yeah, so that's how that ties. Scor- Scorsese knows this. I think Scorsese does. I think he is the type of person who pays that much attention to detail. Like right down to he picked out the books that are in his prison cell based on like what the books are about, apparently. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, even the comic book characters on the wall. Right. Like so many levels. Yeah. He is the type of person who just puts everything he can in a movie. We were talking about it while we were watching the movie because, again, we were trying to do anything to help <laughs> ourselves. Um a lot of looking at our phone. Yeah. I really forgot how dark the first half of this movie is, everyone. I am so sorry. That's why you can just listen to us goof around instead yes. of watching it. Go watch uh, Taxi Driver or Mean Streets. Somehow both not as dark as this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go give Scorsese your money by watching The Irishman on Netflix. Yeah. I was watching a video on Bioshock and... You dropped your comic book knowledge, so now I'm trying yeah, my video for knowledge. It. Ken Levine is like Educate me. <laughs> the creative force behind the Bioshock series and why I love it so much. And there's so much lore and like detail in it. And this video was going in de- detail about like being an auteur and like being not the sole reason, but the main force behind a creative thing. Yeah, you are the driving action. Yeah. And he compared Ken Levine to like Scorsese and Tarantino and stuff because yeah. they are auteurs. Yeah, not which, every director is an auteur, but some are. <laughs> yeah. I, and I think that that's the kind of link that I found between all my favorite things. They have an auteur behind them, like giving that much detail and everything into their craft, which I love. Like how we talked about in Killer Clowns, like the directors were former 
like special effects guys so they did it right yeah everything is packed with detail or we talked about tim burton yeah who like comes from animation so everything is meticulously timed and mm-hmm. placed and <laughs> scorsese is the same way but more so yeah. he um started off as a film teacher at nyu hmm. Um, doing a lot of cocaine, watching a lot of movies, <laughs> allegedly. Uh, <laughs> I think that's like a known thing now. So he has like the, the way that I could just drop that in humans knowledge. He could probably like line for line recite the original Cape Fear to you right now. Mm-hmm. Like he's that kind of person. Yeah. So like everything in this movie is just a love letter to the old one. And I love it. Yeah. Most of it. Well, yeah. All right. <laughs> I love the craft and the filmmaking quality in this movie. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So De Niro, he's uh, getting out of prison. Mm -hmm. He's real scary. Until he opened his mouth and I was like, Robert De Niro doing a southern accent. It's it's not a bad one. It's just weird coming out of him. He like nails it. Like apparently right before filming, he went on like a a road trip, just like cross country because he's rich and he can. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he specifically like set aside a week to like, go more slowly through the south and he would just stop and like chit chat with people and show them the script and ask them to read lines oh. so and he would record it and then he would listen to it on the car drive and he would like get the cadence down that's amazing yeah he's a dedicated dude that De Niro. <laughs> yeah because i mean this was in 91 so they've all, they've all like gotten their like big movies yeah i mean he's two or three oscar nominations and one win in yeah i mean same with scorsese just like taxi driver and like all the those big scorsese movies. doesn't get an oscar until well, the departed man not not <laughs> oscars aren't a sign of i know success. i know i mean the big movies well yeah by this point scorsese has made all of his most arguably most iconic films mm-hmm. well no, i guess casino and uh goodfellas are after this but because this is 91 goodfellas. i think goodfellas is 92 93 goodfellas was 90 so oh, okay. So he had done good. So he had done his most iconic movies then. Um, Casino's ninety five. Yeah. Departed was two thousand six. So Departed, I guess. Casino and Departed are like his last. Like, oh man, Scorsese. <laughs> like what people think of him as, even though he's so much more than that. He's actually got one of the most like diverse filmographies that people really overlook. Yeah. Which bums me out. Like he made a horror movie. <laughs> he's made two. <laughs> What's his other one? Shutter Island. I haven't seen that. It's pretty great. But we're here to talk yes. about De Niro. <laughs> yes, one of my favorite De Niro's. Him just being scary. Uh-huh. Uh, everything he says, he's like says almost nothing until they're like, don't you want to take your books? And he goes, I read them. <laughs> and just stares at the guy and the guy's like, uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> and then he just walks into the camera. Yep. <sighs> this movie is so well shot and edited. <laughs> yeah. So many like zoom ins and quick cuts yeah like the first like 15 minutes of the movie is just like moving yes so then we meet uh nick nolte and we meet uh his wife jessica lang and his daughter juliette lewis um i really like their family dynamic in this movie i like that they're like clearly have their issues but uh yeah i mean they're like a well-off white family yeah so it's like but, like they joke with each other and like they clearly all like mostly get along least at first we think <laughs> and then max katie just re-enters nick nolte's life and we slowly begin to learn that uh nick nolte was his defense attorney and he hid evidence that could have gotten him off whether he needed he deserved to go to prison or not because clearly right. he did yeah yeah because nick nolte realizes that 
he'll just get back on the streets and do what he did. Yeah, and he did terrible upsetting. things, and <laughs> Nick Nolte was like, mm, "Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna hide that evidence." And then he went to jail for 14 years. Yep, and he blames Nick Nolte because, as he says, like the judge, the jury, the the other attorney, they were doing their job. You yeah. were not. Yeah, it was their job to serve justice, and it was your job to serve what I feel is justice. Yeah, because also Nick Nolte was like, he's illiterate. He could yeah. never find out, but he'd been reading this whole time. That's an interest. One of the like, I don't want to go through the plot of this movie because it's such a bummer in the first half. Mm. But um, the stuff the movie is really getting at is what is justice and what yeah. is right and what is wrong yeah. and what is bubbling just beneath the surface of every person yeah because he's a lawyer that knows the law full well and the law can't help him right he he could have gotten him off by implying something about the person who was prosecuting him yeah but is that right yeah like, like, like he keeps saying like so what i was supposed to throw this other person under the bus for something that isn't actually relevant but people would assume is yeah that's not right and is actually one of the more progressive stances I think this movie makes an effort to take uh-huh. in that it, it talks a lot about the, uh, the culture surrounding that kind of thing yeah, and the way like people vilify victims. Yeah. Um, cause even later, um, Robert De Niro's character did a terrible thing to, uh, one of Nick Nolte's coworkers and she, she won't go to court with it because she because- knows, Everyone will look at her differently instead of him. Which is like, man. Yeah. Elena Douglas in a good performance and a thankless role mm-hmm. that frankly doesn't need to be in this movie. Uh, I don't know what term they use in film, but I know in comic books, they call it a woman in a refrigerator. Mm-hmm. She's been fridged. Yeah. She is victimized solely to motivate a male character because her character has no inner life thoughts or motivation. She is mm-hmm. just there to get hurt so that the man can have pain. Yeah. And it bums me out. It's the toughest thing about this movie um, is the treatment of that character, what happens to that character, and the fact that she she doesn't get to have any real agency within it. Yeah, because she's only ever on screen to further Nick Nolte's yeah. character. Uh, she, she, she is what Steven Spielberg describes Shelley Duvall's character in The Shining as. Yeah, uh, Stephen King. Stephen King. Yes, thank you. Sorry. <laughs> Whoa, uh, man. Whoa, man. All my lines are blurring. <laughs> all your Steve. Steve? Get the Steves right, Matt. What Steve did I say? You said Steve Spielberg. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Steve. Not yours. He belongs to me and Marty, goddammit. Uh, but yeah, that's the part of this movie we warned you up about up top. And we're done with that now. So... Back to the movie. I'm sure you can find a number of articles written by people who know the subject better than we do, and you should look those up, read them, and share them, and be part of the discussion, because it's an important part of film. Onward. (laughs) Yes. So now we're just uh, going whole hog on Max Cady, played by Robert De Niro, being... Did you say whole hog? Yes, I did. (laughs) Yes, I did, sir. Are you questioning me, sir? How dare you? Is that Bobbert De Niro? Yes, yeah. yeah, sir. <laughs> uh, just terrorizing uh, Nick Nolte and his family. Just being great in this movie. Like, legitimately, yeah. it's a fantastic performance. Yeah. 
I, I don't know what else to like say about it. it it's it's always so weird when it's like someone like De Niro where it's like, oh, yeah, I like De Niro. He's good in all his movies, but he's playing such a scumbag. Yeah. That's like, I want to hate you, but you're Robert De Niro. Right. Like you kind of like him in Goodfellas. He's yeah. charming. Yeah. He murders people. But in this, it's like, oh, I have no redeeming characteristics. Yeah. I Right down to the fact that like I'm rude in movie theaters. Yeah. <laughs> like everything about him is bad and it's great. Yeah. I mean, it's not great, but you know what I mean? The performance is great. But it's just like an hour and a half of him getting away with everything. Yeah. Um, the law's not protecting. He murders a dog. Yeah. He does the thing. Uh, <laughs> Nick Nolte can't get any help from yeah, law enforcement, he's, lawyers. Yeah. He eventually hires a private detective to follow him, and then played by the great Jodon Baker, who, yeah. who's having such a good time in this fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, he's the only person that I think is on the level of De Niro in this, in in terms of like just like I don't know, fuck it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's pretty good, but he eventually convinces Nick Nolte that like, hey, I got some guys. He could beat him up. Yeah, they'll beat him up. They'll scare him out of town. Yeah. Like, it is one of the tough things that this movie makes you grapple with in that by that point, you're kind of like, fucking yeah, have him beat him up. I don't know. Like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Just do it. Yeah. But, like, that's the point is how much of this is Nick Nolte doing for justice? Mm -hmm. Like, the police say, like, you're not allowed to be a vigilante. But are you? Right. But, like, at what point when they won't help you? Yeah. Do you do something on your own? It's, it's even, a, even the cop was like, well, I didn't say that. Right. Uh, the cop, you ready? First fun fact. Uh-huh. Played by Robert Mitchum, who played Max Cady in the original Cape Fear. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, De Niro turns it around on the guys beating him up. Really cool fight scene. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> just watching De Niro just wreck shop. I know. Because he's such a physical actor. I love when he gets given fight scenes. Like, those are yeah. some of the best parts of Raging Bull is his physicality in that movie. See, like, it was... Like, the movie was a bummer up until that point. At that point, I was like, Scorsese and De Niro. Yeah. You guys up. Well, this yeah. is... We're just past the halfway point here. Yeah. And this is when it flips to, like... Okay, I've been homaging like classic thrillers mm. and family dramas, and because again, Scorsese is something of you know, a pastiche artist, the way mm. that Tarantino is, the way that a lot of really great directors are. John Carpenter does it sometimes, um, but I think nobody like remixes other movies as well as Scorsese. Mm-hmm. So here he starts homaging big over the top horror movies from the seventies and eighties, and it's awesome. And uh, fight scenes in particular movies directed by John Carpenter. Right. This this <laughs> feels so much like they live. <laughs> Robert De Niro is jacked in this movie and he has all these tattoos and everything. <sighs> everything. He So much commitment. Yeah. I'll get into that in our, in our behind the scenes. Yeah. But yeah, he gets jumped by three dudes with like pipes and stuff and he just like. He just beats the shit out of them. Beats the shit out of all of them. And then he gets to give another amazing monologue to Nick That Nolte. was amazing. Because Nick Nolte's behind a, like a dumpster and he like moves a little bit and then he just goes full on like, let me tell you about the Bible and justice, <laughs> sir. Is that you, counselor? Oh, counselor. Oh, don't you want to come out and play? <laughs> like, read, he's so good. Read the Bible. The good Lord of Jesus. Yeah. 
Oh, he's so great in this. He's he's really good. So finally, like Nick Nolte's like fuck, 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 fuck. Because now De Niro flips everything on him, yeah, and says clearly this man hired those three men to beat me because he feels threatened for no reason. Because yeah, he like got a tape recording of Nick Nolte threatening him. Yeah. All right, you ready? Fun fact number two. <laughs> All right. His lawyer in that scene, uh-huh. played by Gary Peck, who played Nick Nolte's character in the original. <laughs> And I love getting to see Gregory Peck as a Southern lawyer because <laughs> he's great at it because his probably his most iconic role to everyone who took an English, a 10th grade English class, at least in America, is his Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, I know. So, oh, he's really good yeah. in it as a Southern lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Sadly, that movie will teach you nothing about killing mockingbirds, but uh <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even have to read the books. I don't know what we're talking about. Yes. That's some fun facts. So at this point, Nick Nolte is pushed to his final limits. He they decide they're gonna set a trap for uh, Robert De Niro. He pretends to leave so he'll break into the house so that he has a <laughs> oh my God, he this. can justifiably kill him. <laughs> this just reminded me of the best. And this is like yeah, the movie at this point is like a crazy home invasion slasher movie. Yeah, and it's just going for it because the PI he hired earlier set up traps and was sitting in his house, and they have a nanny or maid. Uh, who just like cleans up around the house and is really close to Juliet Lewis, yeah. their daughter. Yeah, and uh, the it's a stormy night, and the PI is like looking around, and he comes across an A. He's like, "Oh, oh, I didn't see you there." And then in a quick cut, you just see this like long black hair, and then whip of the head. It's Robert De Niro. Yeah. And he kills him. In- oh. I'm made up. <laughs> see. I know it's kind of funny, but I think it works. (laughs) I think it's genuinely like a great jump scare. Well, because also horror movies and Jim Beam. He's pouring a big old bottle of Jim Beam. Yep, because horror movies and Jim Beam. He's pouring himself a a little glass. So I was like distracted. I was like, Matt, there it is. It's it's the thing. Kurt Russell, right? And I was like, wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Like in my head, I was like, I'm so glad he's paying such close attention now. And then all of a sudden, ah, Robert didn't run away. In a made outfit. Yep. It, was great. it worked. <laughs> it did. So, so he, now body count has uh has risen. Mm-hmm. He has killed two people. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, yeah. it like, took him this long. And finally, uh this is the other thing that uh is tough about this movie, uh that we didn't go into too much earlier. It's implied that Juliet Lewis the daughter uh is naive so that anything he has done to manipulate her to this point is kind of her fault which is not a great look on this movie mm-hmm. her performance is great the one scene that's very upsetting between her and de niro is a fantastically acted and shot scene mm-hmm. but it does kind of imply like ah see teenage girls Always trust in the wrong guy. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> uh, I took it more as like he's manipulating her. Yeah, but it, it always it feels a little bit like the movie is against her also. Uh, yeah. A little bit. Your parents just don't understand. Right. Yeah, no, like you understand why she goes with him, but yeah. it feels like the movie is like, oh, those darn kids. Teenage girls. They just don't know what they're doing. And it's like, ah, come on, movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're here to get to the but crazy yes. fun slashers. So at this point, now even Julia Lewis is turned against him. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, she just witnessed yeah. murder two people. Yeah. So, so now she it. realizes like he is the villain. He is the boogeyman that her dad has been setting up. Yeah. Uh, so they decide they have to run mm-hmm. um, after Nick Nolte slips in blood. And it gets all the blood all yeah. over him and takes the <sighs> gun. Yep. You know, top 10 worst things to do after you find two I, dead people. In your I house. think number one. <laughs> no, that's all top 10. Yeah. That's all 10 of them. Each one of the things he did is a different step in the top 10. Because <laughs> yeah. now they flee and they are fleed, not fleeing. I don't think that's a word. He had fleeing the scene of the crime. Uh, they have fled the scene. <laughs> I can't talk tonight. I'm tired. Uh <laughs> Yeah, and he calls the cop. <laughs> like, you're fugitives, you idiot. Yeah. Like, he's like, I know the law. <laughs> Do you? Well, he does, because he just says, like, well, yeah, except that every time I've called you, you've all told me, eh, well, ah, tough luck, buddy. <laughs> and then in another great, like, oh my God. <laughs> they're driving down the highway, and <laughs> you're like, oh, man, how is De Niro going to find him? He has... <laughs> used his belt to strap himself to the bottom of their car <laughs> for hours i love it it's so good that's some michael myers shit yeah. like, i really enjoyed these last 30 minutes yeah well this is it just becomes a really great slasher movie yeah if you don't want to watch the whole movie literally just fast forward to the last 30 minutes you'll be fine uh, mostly no, there's some stuff at the end too yeah that's kind of it's not as explicit so but I think you've been, you warned. know, you can look up you've the clips warned. on YouTube. But yeah, so they get on the boat down Cape Fear. Roll yes. credits. Yeah. Real just... subtle name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, get on their, they get on their houseboat and they sail away to safety on a dark, stormy night yeah. again. <laughs> when everything's uh, bumpy on the, yeah. on the Cape Fear. Well, they've like parked the boat and they've dropped anchor, but everything is still like really shaking and they can't figure out why. And I love that they don't show it. They just imply it. Like, clearly, it's because De Niro has swam to their boat and is climbing up the anchor because uh-huh. he's the fucking Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's Michael Myers at yeah. this point. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's great. And then uh, he chokes out Nick Nolte. Well, what is it? He just deadlifts him with one Dude. arm. <laughs> he just deadlifts this full grown man. Mm-hmm. It's um, upsetting for a while. And then the daughter lights him on fire yeah it's awesome <laughs> we should say during the upsetting part this whole movie i was like i forgot jessica lang is in this in like a good again good performance but like kind of wasted she gets to have a monologue though that's like oh that's why you hired jessica lang she's, she's great the wife yes what has she been in um at this know? point she's probably most known for being part of uh, ryan murphy's crew she's in all the seasons of american horror story um but you would probably know her from she's the wife in big fish Mm -hmm. you never saw big fish Mm -hmm. oh so good isn't that tim burton yeah yeah i haven't seen it fish it's real big (laughs) (laughs) whoa Uh, i thought that would be like the one thing you would know her from (laughs) next you're gonna tell me there's a giant peach and james and the giant peach (laughs) zach no spoilers <laughs> good job, man. Thank that you. was a good bit. We did it. All right. End podcast. We've peaked. <laughs> Wait, I can do it better. Cut this in. No spoilers. No spoilers. Now we've peaked. <laughs> I'm not going to edit any of that. That's going to fully roll.
whenever we talk about spoilers, can we just go spoiler? Yeah. <laughs> That's how we, any movie with a twist at the beginning, we'll just go, hey, everybody, just heads up, spoilers. <laughs> spoilers ahead on the Cape Fear. <laughs> it's a dark and stormy night on the Cape Fear. Leave it all in. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully this makes up for us skipping the first hour of this movie. Um, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> then De Niro gets caught on fire. Yeah. Yeah, and then he survives, and he comes back on, and he starts giving. Before the, he comes back on, his arm. Just, oh yeah, just shoots back out like he's out a of the water, zombie breaking out of the grave. Jason, okay, he's he's now he's referencing like George Romero. Yeah, he's referencing yeah Friday the Thirteenth. He's great. He remixes movies, and I love it. And then he hops back on, and he's all disformed and stuff, like a slasher. Yeah. This movie just goes nuts from here. Yeah. Because uh, he gets to give a great monologue while holding a flare that's dripping sulfur onto his hand. Mm-hmm. And it should be like burning him. He's just like, you know, my, my father was a preacher in the South. He used to get bit by snakes while speaking in tongues. My father was, you know, my grandpa was in a sideshow. He used to swallow strychnine. I had a hand up and I made myself unbeatable. <laughs> like, it's great. I, I guess you could it's say nuts. it was genetics. Yeah. Uh, basically implying like i no longer feel pain yeah (laughs) Uh, i love it and then that also like this character is so like well informed from a monologue that he doesn't give until the end because that explains all of his obsessions with justice and religion Mm -hmm. and all the biblical tattoos and why that's the first book he learns to read his daddy and his granddaddy before him crazy like tent revival preachers yeah and then he puts Nick Nolte on trial. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was the. And then he talks straight to the camera yeah. when he's talking to himself. I everything like that. That's the scene that's like goes from good to great to fucking fantastic. <laughs> like, it was fucking excellent. Fucking excellent. Thank you. With a little mm. yes, <laughs> fantastic, uh, excellent, <laughs> outstanding. Excellent. Sorry. Excellent. <laughs> Yeah, no, that whole sequence is amazing. I love the miniature work on the boat in that scene as it's mm. crashing into all the rocks. Yeah. And everything just goes nuts. His wife and his daughter escape, and it's just Nick Nolte and Robert De Niro just beating the ever-loving shit out of each other. Yeah. Nick Nolte handcuffs his leg to pull on the boat. Yeah. They hit each other with some rocks on the shore. I, I love that at this point, just to drive home, who is right and who is wrong who is the monster and who isn't Mm. nick nolte has no more dialogue at this point he only Mm. speaks in growls and grunts and robert de niro only speaks in eloquent lawyerly monologues Mm. it's such a like the script is so well written like and nick nolte's ready to kill him then he doesn't have to Mm -hmm. because the the cape fear washes him away because he's still attached to the sinking boat and and he keeps monologuing yeah well, at this point, he's just speaking in tongues. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's like, <laughs> well, that's a thing they do at these tin revival churches, man. <laughs> like the preacher cures you of your demons and you speak in tongues. Yeah. I love it. I love that. That's and then he just stares. Yeah. As, as he, he drowns, as he sinks, he just staring. Oh, it's so good. It's the devil's eyes. Yeah. And then the family is reunited and the movie just ends. Mm hmm. With a nice little monologue from Juliette Lewis. Yeah. 
about like and poetry the, the things you lose and what the, they're worth the perfect tim burton teenage girl right moment <laughs> she is kind of a tim burton teen in this movie. that's what i was thinking the whole time i was like that's a tim burton teen yeah. if i ever seen one yeah, <laughs> yeah it's yeah, it, it ends how it started that's cape fear mm-hmm. oscars sure like real bummer movies yep <laughs> <laughs> i hope there's some I forgot what we're doing. I think you'll have a good time with the uh, the next ones. But uh, okay, <laughs> uh, so behind the scenes, yes, critical Let's, reception. The critical reception of this movie, obviously, great. Scorsese, it's, everybody loves Scorsese. Yeah. It gets nominated for two Oscars. It gets nominated for a bunch of Golden Globes. Mm. Uh, but behind the scenes, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about how great the score to this movie is, and why. <laughs> the score was pretty good. Yeah, the score to this movie is fantastic. It's by Elmer Bernstein, kind of, because <laughs> you know how. Wait, kind of. There you go. Uh, <laughs> you know how I said Martin Scorsese loves to remix movies yeah. the way that like DJs remix mm-hmm. music. Uh, Elmer Bernstein decided to remix the soundtrack to the original. He's using Bernard Herrmann's score and only updating it and putting it in different places, which is genius. That's why it's so lush and sounds like a score from like the 50s or 60s, because it is. That's fun. And I love it. That's one of my favorite things about this movie. And the other thing we got to talk about, we've been talking about him a lot. Robert De Niro's performance in this movie (laughs) is nuts. Um. I got a lot of feelings. We've talked about this before. I got a lot of feelings about uh, method acting, mm-hmm. but De Niro's very good at it. Yeah. And he went full method for this movie. Like I said, he drove around and learned the accent from people, would pretend to have it and try to fool people as mm-hmm. his hair grew out. So he looked less like De Niro. Yeah. Um, and then on the physical side of the commitment, all those tattoos are technically real. <laughs> uh, they're done with vegetable oil. So they fade after about six months. Mm. but he still sat down and got all those tattoos. Jeez. Um, he worked out so hard also that as he was getting the tattoos, the tattoo artist had to redo some of them because they were no longer big enough. <laughs> like Robert De Niro put in like six hours a day at the gym for like three months, Jeez. like j- just jacked out of his mind. Like he's, I think he got down to something crazy, like 3% body fat, <laughs> but that's why like, he's not built like yeah. bodybuilder he is just muscle and nothing it, else it's not like it's so scary yeah because he didn't go the like henry cavill like trying right, to do things to look he's not a beefcake yeah he's he, just jack he's like if you wanted to do the things that superheroes and movies do you would have to get that kind of ripped not schwarzenegger ripped. Mm-hmm. You know, those muscles are for show. Every muscle in this has a purpose. Yeah. These muscles are to strangle people. So anytime you see him working out in this movie, he was just actually doing it. So like when he's doing upside down crunches, he was just doing that. And Scorsese was like, that looks great. Do it in the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Jeez, dude. He and Scorsese picked all of the tattoos, Mm. which is pretty cool. So all of them are very well thought out. And apparently only the two of them know what each of them means (laughs) and the full backstory of each. Uh And this is where it's like, Jesus, Robert. Did you notice that Max Katie has uh, fucked up teeth in this movie? <laughs> this like upsets me to like think about. Uh-huh. Uh, he paid a dentist. Oh, no. $6,000 to fuck up his teeth. Oh, to no. grind them down. To essentially like mm. give him cavities and crowns. Shave some of them down and take some of them out. Mm. And then had to pay like 
I think like $10,000 or $15,000 for the dentist to then fix them. Oh, God. I don't love method acting, but I respect it sometimes. Uh, this is one of those cases. I mean, everything else, I was like, man, this dedication. This, I'm like, did you really need to do right. that? Jeez. Like, it's impressive, but he goes full method. Yeah. <laughs> Not just staying in character, which I'm like, I'm bored with. This is like nuts. Yeah. <laughs> but like. I mean, it paid off. The performance is great, I guess. <laughs> Hopefully he got his money back. Right. It's really impressive that he did that. Like, yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so those are my two big behind the scenes things. Oh, the other one that's just weird uh-huh. was uh, Martin Scorsese. Let's get into alternate universe world here. So uh, the studio's first choice that Martin Scorsese pushed very hard against because he wanted Robert De Niro huh. for Max Cady was... I can actually really see it and really want to see this. Uh, Their first choice was Bill Murray because they thought like, oh, he'll be like charming and Uh like really win you over. And then he could be scary. Yeah. And it would have been like a cool against type casting. Uh But also it could have been like truly terrible. I don't think if they did go with Bill Murray and even if he did a good job, I don't think it would have held up as much as Robert De Niro's did. Well, I, I don't think people watching it would be able to leave Bill Murray at the door. Yeah. Well, cause I, I'm saying this because watching Ghostbusters for the first time I was like, uh, Bill Murray is kind of creepy in this. Like, I don't, I don't like good that. Good actor though. You know, <laughs> I mean, Hey, it, creepy, <laughs> but it's not like the, like, Oh, that's, that's, that's good acting. It's like, uh, I don't like that. Well, and like you never know what he would want to do with it. Yeah, like he he's a riff heavy guy. He's a comedian, you know. It's like um uh The Shining. How you're saying uh, they're thinking about doing Robin Williams for it's, yeah. It's not it's that like, the performance would be bad. I just wouldn't ever be able to forget yeah. that I'm watching Robin Williams. Yeah, because it's like Jack Nicholson and Robert De Niro. Those are like they could yeah. go for it, and you could like. Yeah, you could only take in the performance, but it's like that's Robin Williams, that's Bill Murray. <laughs> it's hard to like leave them at the door. Yeah. Whereas De Niro is known as a chameleon actor, yeah. so you can just be, oh yeah, sure, De Niro. Yeah. And then the southern accent is a choice. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it worked. It could have gone a lot worse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. Nick Nolte was not Scorsese's first choice for his role. Uh-huh. Scorsese's first choice was Harrison Ford, uh-huh. which uh, yeah. I feel like <laughs> he would have done good. This is like every single episode now. Like, oh, yeah. Did you know Harrison Ford? Was Everybody the, likes the Harrison. Ford. He was the biggest actor in the world until like 2005. <laughs> I know. But it's just funny. Every single movie. It's like first choice. Harrison. Ford. Yeah. Whoa! Harrison Ford plays a nice lawyer who kind of goes crazy at the end. I'm like, yeah, he could do that. He could do anything. He's Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford did not want that role. He wanted to play Max Cady, which would have been interesting but horrible. Yeah, like unlike Bill Murray, where I'm like, I'd like to see that. Like as an Mm. experiment, I'm like, oh, that sounds bad. (laughs) (laughs) What? How come? I, I just can't picture Harrison Ford doing the things that Max Cady does in this movie. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's as an actor, don't know if he is capable of going to that kind of darkness. I never see Harrison Ford as the bad guy. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be the, the, especially on film, there are just types you can play and types you can't. Yeah. Bill Murray would be interesting against typecasting. Harrison Ford would be like, what? 
because he can be intense, but he's never not likable. You're never not yeah. rooting for him. And, and it's always like he's taking this serious situation with like a funny witty comeback. Right. Like, Which there's a little bit to that in this character, but but it would have been too much. Robert De Niro's has an underlying like, oh, God, there's a menace to it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's a movie slasher, and I cannot picture Harrison Ford as a slasher. I've yeah. seen him. He is in like some horror movies where he's kind of the bad guy. Mm. I won't tell you which ones, so it's a surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spoiler. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> We're heading into Cape Fear. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> but like that sounds like fucking unwatchable to me. Yeah. Um, and then Martin Scorsese himself, not the first person who was going to direct this movie. Hmm. I was originally, um, and got into product, like into pre-production and casting with Steven Spielberg, Yeah, who I could see this just probably being much lighter and more of just like a big over the top thriller. Yeah. Probably a pretty good time. I don't, um, I don't think that first upsetting scene would have made it in if it was Spielberg. I can see it being there, but I see it being very different. It it would have stayed. It would have from stayed a implied. Shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would have been much more focused on like the the set pieces mm-hmm. and like the acting. I think. Yeah. Um. Whereas Scorsese believes you go full force with whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um. And actually, Scorsese and he had to trade. Mm. Uh. Because Scorsese was originally heading into pre-production on Schindler's List. Yeah. But he had just come off of uh, Kundun and The Last Temptation of Christ, two movies about religion that are very controversial mm-hmm. um, and received very mixed reception. Uh, Last Temptation of Christ, I believe, got him a lot of death threats. Yeah. Um, great movie. Uh, <laughs> so that's the inspiration for uh, Robert De Niro's monologue. <laughs> right. Um so he was just like, I don't think I should be tacking, tackling other people's religions anymore. <laughs> and it's so funny because this movie like feels so Scorsese and Schindler's List feels like such a personal film to Spielberg. Yeah. That only he could have made at that exact moment mm-hmm. that I'm like, what are the two versions of these movies? Yeah. Like, I kind of want to see them, but much like the Harrison Ford thing. I'm like, that sounds unwatchable. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'm good. <laughs> but yeah, so they just like we're talking one day and we're like, what if we like talk to the studio and we like trade? You want you want swapsies? <laughs> yeah. Like this sounds like way more your kind of movie. Yeah. And I'm actually Jewish. So what if we <laughs> I feel like Spielberg and Scorsese are like the only directors that could like do that and be like, hey studio, can we swap? Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. It's fine. Yeah, it yeah. Uh, when you're that big, you just do whatever you want. Yeah. Like um, somebody was talking about uh, Scorsese will occasionally have something come out. That's like this huge passion project that has taken years. Like um, just a few years ago, he released silence, mm. which is supposed to be very good. I have not seen it, but it's a religious epic thing. That's supposed mm-hmm. to be great. But he had been talking about making it since the nineties. And at one point in the mid two thousands had gotten as far as casting and location scouting. Mm. And then it just fell apart. But apparently, when you're as big as Scorsese, it fell apart because he was developing four other movies at the same time. And it was he just has to always be developing them because it's like one of these will go through. Yeah. And the studio will give me the money to develop all four at the same time. And I'll spend like, you know, ten thousand dollars on each one. But only one of them will happen. But that one will win three Oscars. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. 
But yeah, that's Cape Fear. That's Cape Fear. Uh, well made movie. <laughs> yep. Love Robert De Niro's accent. Yep. <laughs> I I like this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it deals with a hard subject matter. Yeah. And I appreciate that it deals with it and it tries very hard to deal with it well, even if sometimes it stumbles. Yeah. yeah I I never got the feeling that it was handling the subject in a very bad way. Like right. it's not super exploitative. Yeah, like it's not great. Like yeah, I didn't have the same issues that I had with Jaws where like I could see Jaws having the real world impact. Right. I, I don't think this like every time this movie anything. when it makes a misstep, it tries to also take a step in the right direction. Yeah. I think Scorsese's a very aware guy. Yeah. I can see him definitely pushing for that. Um, I can definitely see, unfortunately, like a lot of his movies, this probably has probably been misinterpreted by the same type of people who think that Goodfellas looks like fun. Mm-hmm. Even though the whole message of that movie is don't be a mobster. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I hope every mobster movie has the message of don't be a mobster. Well, they all do, but everyone instead goes, man, being a mobster looks great. Yeah. It's like, did you watch the fucking movie? <laughs> they all like. I'm, I'm sure people have the Robert De Niro tattoos from this movie. Yeah. Because oh, they're wrong. Yeah. Like, yeah. People are dumb. People are dumb. Uh, that's why you got to be, be careful. Don't uh, be a mobster. Yeah. Don't be a mobster. Don't be Max Katie. Uh, <laughs> just have a fun time goofing around about horror movies. Yep. yep. <laughs> uh, I think all of the movies we're watching this month deal with a lot of these things. In Not these yeah. things, but the, the idea of like hard subjects that are difficult to talk about i think that's what to elaborate as i will do every week on the oscars and horror that's what maybe separates them a little bit from other horror movies is the prestige of the people making it Mm. and the subject matter and the way it tackles it yes so should thanks matt yeah (laughs) i want to go back to watching slashers (laughs) yeah the last 30 minutes of this movie brought you right back to it can we can we uh can you go watch some Tony Todd or something? Yeah. And speaking of tackling uh, sometimes difficult subject matter, what are we watching next week, Zach? Wait, the next one's going to tackle some serious subject matter? Well, I mean, it's about religion. I, I thought it was just going to be another fun horror movie. It's much more fun than this. <laughs> okay. We're watching The Exorcist. Yes. No, uh, William scared. Friedkin and William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist. Now I'm scared. Oh god. You should be. It was billed at the time as the scariest movie ever made. Does it? Yes. Spoilers. Spoilers. Have anything to do with an exorcist? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll watch Exorcist next week. Yeah. Before we get into our oh, plugs. Right. We got a couple of things. <laughs> a couple of things that commissions need... or omissions and corrections. <laughs> that we need to get off our chest. So Matt and listeners at home, you know how in the very first episode, you should listen to it if you haven't. It's on the thing. It's real good. Uh, Kurt Russell, in the beginning, pours himself a little glass of Jim Beam. And ever since then, that's that's, the official drink of the podcast. Yes. And of Zach, just like that's my (laughs) go to. I never had a go to. I'm 23. I never had a go to drink until then. Apparently, for the past six months, I've been saying Jim Bean, not realizing it's Jim Beam. 
with an M. Yeah, you told me that before we recorded, and it blew my fucking mind. Apparently, Matt didn't know either. Yeah. I thought I was, I was the only one that thought... for nine years I've been drinking Jim Beam <laughs> since I was twenty-one, and I was like, "Ooh, what's this?" I've read the bottle. I, I've had the bottle for. I have bought it. Desk. It's been on my desk this whole time. Point is, my mind's been blown. Yep, and I felt like I need to get that off of the chest on this podcast since it's such an integral part. I know we've been saying it wrong for many episodes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Luckily enough, it's close enough to where, like, if you just say Jim Bean, like, yeah, passing no by, one probably noticed, but we yeah. did. It's it's I didn't get that off my chest. My life is a lie. Podcast mm-hmm. over. I quit. <laughs> Speaking of Jim Bean, Beam. <laughs> Speaking of Jim Beam. And the thing, uh, my wife works at Aspen Comics, and the wonderful people over there, shout out to Frank, gave me the Thing art book. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. I love it so much. Uh, They have an amazing artist. Matt loves him very much. Peter Steigerwald. Yes, I do. He has a piece in it. Yes, he is. And it's great. So it's a really cool book. Everybody go buy it. It's so great. Uh check out Aspen Comics. Wanna give yes. them a little shout out because I was so happy when they gave Friends it. Friends of me. the pod. Yeah. Aspen Comics. Yeah. <laughs> check them out. Oh yeah. Now we can get into the Oh yeah. So Zach, where can everybody find you? So you can find me uh at Zach Shirk on Instagram, ZachShirk.com. And you know, Zach underscore Shirk on Twitter. If you follow me, maybe I'll use it. <laughs> That's that's been a journey on this podcast. Send we'll fun horror memes. Yeah, maybe I'll use it. We'll see. Where can they find you, Matt? You can find me on just about everything. As I draw paintings, and you can always find me over on my uh, Facebook artist page, Matt Mears. And you can listen to Matt Makes Zach Watch Horror Movies on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and watch us do the drawings and stuff on YouTube. On the make sure version. you look up this one. I'm real proud of it. <laughs> it's so good. And if you like all the art that we do on the podcast, coming up in July 31st to August 2nd, 2020, we're going to have a table at Midsummer Scream. Yeah. Yeah. So if you come by and tell us uh, Red Rum, we'll give you a sticker and go murder. Uh, And if you walk up and go, spoilers, (laughs) we're heading into Cape Fear, I will draw you anything you want. (laughs) Absolutely. This very specific episode, this is the only time we're going to say this. So if you're listening still, you get whatever you want. We'll we'll draw something for you. Well, not anything. Just remember, it's got to be, spoilers, we're heading into Cape Fear with that accent. Yes. Uh, (laughs) I hope someone, if anything, Tim will. <laughs> yeah. Even if we just get one person, I will be so stoked. Yeah. But yeah, and if you like our drawings and stuff too, we started streaming on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash super. Twitch.tv slash supermoon live. Uh, we'll be streaming video games and doing the drawings and stuff. And this will be the first episode since Supermoon launched. Yay! Yay. Supermoon! So, Supermoon will be the studio that we could put out whatever cool stuff we're doing. It's true. Many podcasts. It's our sick podcast network. Or, well, Zach's sick podcast network. Sick podcast network. <laughs> Supermoon. It will have launched Sunday because it was the most recent Supermoon. So, Zach, play us out. <laughs> <laughs> Are you threatening me? Are you threatening me?
You're damn right I am. <laughs> Are you threatened? Bye. Bye. <laughs>